Hey, and welcome to the Home Life Podcast. This week, we're chatting about real estate agents. Are they driving prices up? And if they are, how is that actually working? So we're going to break down the market and how the what, what drives market and how the market actually works. And then we're actually going to get into how to make homemade jerky, one of my favorite snacks. But before we do, a quick word from our sponsors. Ready to sell your home? Don't make the rookie mistake of jumping in blind. The first step on your journey is critical, research. You need to know what your house is really worth to get the best deal. And that's where checkmyhouseprice.com.au comes in. With a free house price report, you'll get all the juicy market intel, recent sales data, and other must-have info to help you win big when selling your home. Don't gamble on your home's worth. Make checkmyhouseprice.com.au the first step in your successful selling journey. Visit us today and get your free house price report. Okay, so a couple of things have come up on Check My with the um, comments that people are making in regards to real estate agents driving up the prices. Yeah. So, you know, as uh, someone who hasn't had a extensive history within the real estate agent, like the real estate realm, but obviously having you and your experience and with the companies that you have only not only founded, but also, you know, CEO of, which I'm sure you're going to go into, especially using this topic that we're going to be discussing. Um, so what has been said is it's the real estate agents that are hiking up the prices. Right. How do you feel about this topic? <laughs> Enter <We> got... soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can, I can absolutely understand why people feel that. Right. If you you only need to look at a real estate agent's social media to see flashy cars, you know, fancy shoes without socks. There's there's there seems to be an article in the media every other day about you know they're collecting watches or, or cars that that the average human can only dream of owning and and all this sort of stuff. And so it it kind of from an Occam's razor kind of you know path of least mental resistance goes well. Prices are going up, and these guys are are buying. You know, guys Rolexes. and girls are buying Rolexes. They're they're buying Lamborghinis. They're buying you know all this sort of stuff, and and they they get paid a percentage of what the the house sells for. So they get this huge chunk of of commission in terms of like the average person, you know, who's who's out there making their mortgage and and uh, mortgage repayments and so forth. Who's even if you're on a good wicket, you're on a hundred hundred and fifty grand a year. It's like a real estate agent could get paid in a chunk of twenty thousand dollars or forty thousand dollars, depending on the price of the the house sells for. So I can completely understand why people would think that a real estate agent is driving up the price of property. But if that were to be true, would we experience the ups and downs in the property market that we do? And if, if you know our audience thinks about the, their last 30 years 
in real estate and, and listening and listening to the media, watching the media, watching market cycles, all that kind of stuff. Do you honestly think that if, if real estate agents could influence and have that level of influence over house prices, that they would ever have let markets drop back? Well, I know that you, so you're, this, is, this was one of the reasons why I wanted to start yeah. and really had pushed for the podcast because I too, uh, like I'm representing the people, so to speak, yeah. when it comes to, you know, the transparency yeah. isn't there or isn't, no, isn't no, portrayed as well as what it could be. Because once yeah. those things are actually pointed out, and we will go into those, yeah. once they are pointed out, you're like, Actually, yep, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's, let's, it's let's be a little bit more transparent. Yeah, for sure. About Look, things. it's really cloak and dagger, right? Like this market, you know, markets ebb and flow. They all do. A, a, a good market, a healthy market, will ebb and flow, mm. right? It'll up and down because you know supply and demand. Like we've talked about previously, Australia's real estate industry and, and market relies on supply and demand and supply of money and so forth. But that's also a healthy market for it to ebb and flow at times, mm. right? Um, I think the worst possible phrase in Australian real estate, and it comes out of the mouths of real estate agents every single day, and, and it's not their fault. This is, this is a, a nationwide accepted industry standard practice. This is how they're taught to operate, and, and I think it's a fundamental flaw in that, is put forward your best and final offer or put forward your best offer. And once that offer is put forward, you have no idea what happens past that point that the seller may choose to to counter offer and come back and you're in a one-to-one negotiation the agent might say you're in a multi-offer situation and there's no way for you to to determine that now coming back to to the question that you know we we've opened with which is are agents driving up the price in a multi-offer situation which is a market that we've just had in in terms of the covid market and the post-covid market until the interest rate rises really hit it was a, a multi-offer market. In some cases, it was an, an insane multi-offer market. You know, looking at the data behind the scenes that, that we get at, at MarketBuy, which is a digital offer management system. So, you know, you can, you can make offers on property online um, and agents can use it and it provides transparency and we can get into that later. But what we were seeing is in some states, on average, there were 23 offers per property from an average of 14 different buyers, right? Or, and, and other states, it was eight and nine different buyers. Now, only one buyer... Can, can purchase that property, yeah, right? So the, the multi-offer situation, the competitive situation, this was happening on market buy, yeah, absolutely. But it was happening in terms of multi-offers were happening off of digital platforms in the traditional way where an agent's going, well, I've got multiple interests, put forward your best and final, right? And there's no transparency there. There's, there's no equality of opportunity for the buyers to... Uh, you know, come back and they put forward an offer. Because what, what happens as a buyer, and, and I've been this buyer, right, and I've talked to, to thousands of buyers, and, I, and I've even been the seller, but what happens is they say, put forward your best and final. And your brain shifts from, what am I going to have to pay to secure this property to make it my new home? Yeah. To, what's the least amount of money I think I can get away with paying to secure this property? They're two very different mindsets. And what ends up happening in a multi-offer situation is the person who does that misses out, okay? The person who ends up going, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this property and goes to their limit in, and I stress, in a multi-offer situation, often ends up securing the property. Now, that is what's driving up the price because it's supply and demand. There was significantly more demand 
for the property than there was supply because only one buyer could secure it. So it's not the agents driving up the the prices of of property. They're benefiting from it. Absolutely, they're getting paid a percentage of common in a lot of regards. One, two, three percent. Some good agents are getting paid four or five percent, right? And they're worth it because they're they're getting enough, you know, they're getting more for the property than what uh, addition over and above what other agents could, um, you know, than, than what their fee is. Yeah. So a good agent's worth their weight in, in gold, but they're not driving up the price. What they're doing is creating the opportunity for the market to compete for the property and the competition, the market, the buyers are driving up the price. And given the fact that we already have a supply and demand issue here in Australia, like it's – and we have had comments on Check My it, – you know, along the lines of, well, if it wasn't, um, where's one of them? It's only as uh, valuable as what someone's going to pay. 100%. So the whole point of you going to do a listing with a real estate agent is that you want your property to sell. So if that means that you're going, you're wanting, you know, nine, ten people coming through, you want those nine and ten pro- people to put in offers so technically speaking, a real estate agent is doing their job by getting those offers. Correct? A real estate agent is is effectively a middleman, right? Yeah. They're they're effectively a middleman, and and they're a middleman who should have excellent marketing and excellent negotiation skills and things like that, and they should be creating as much competition to compete for your property as possible. That's a good agent. That's literally what their job is. If they do that, you're going to get a premium price for the property. But here's the flip side of that scenario. And we're seeing it now. We're seeing it now in a market where interest rates have risen, money's not as readily available, but some buyers have dropped out of the market because they can't borrow as much. Property prices are coming down, but nowhere near as much as what borrowing capacity is being reduced, right? And there's no listings hitting the market because sellers are going, well, I'm not going to get the premium price, so I'm not going to go on the market. But then there are some agents and, and there are some sellers even, who are sitting there and saying to agents, I'll let you list my property, but you're going to list it at this price. And the price is 10, 20, 30% above what the market is saying the property is worth. And the agent is saying, I'll take it on because they're desperate for listings, right? Because without listings, they can't sell anything, they don't get paid. So you've got this kind of vicious cycle. And But if agents were setting the price of the market, those properties would sell. These properties that are set with a price 10, 20, 30% above the market would actually go on to sell because if if the agent was able to set the price of the market. Yeah. Right? And that's not happening. So what then what actually happens when you overprice your property and you list it for sale at a higher price, after 14 days, sometimes 28 days, sometimes it's two months. The agent comes back to you and says, the market is saying this property is not worth what you think it's worth. We need to drop the price if we're going to sell this property, mm. right? And so there'll be these vendor discussions that are really unpleasant discussions. You know, I've, I've been that agent where we've, we've listed a property at a good price and the market shifted yeah. and the market's no longer willing to pay that price. So we've had to go back and say, hey, look, the market feedback we're getting from open homes, from buyers inspecting the property, from you know inquiries from realestate.com and so on and so forth, are saying this property is no longer worth this price. We need to drop it to this. And at that point, what's happening is sellers are going, well, I need to sell, so I'll drop it. Right? And the average vendor discounting, vendor discounting is the term used to describe how much 
um, uh, seller discounts the property from the list price in order to get it sold, right? So it's the list price versus what the contract price was, okay? And right now in, in uh, most states, most major metropolitan areas, um, it's fluctuating between about 4 and 7%, okay, on recent numbers. Um, and so they'll, they'll make that discount, right? They'll make that discount. Or they'll take the property off the market. Now, as we've discussed previously, we're heading into a period where a lot of sellers can't afford to buy in the same market that they're selling in. And that's a discussion for us to have on a completely different day as to selling the risks and benefits of selling at the height of the market, right? But that is, that is the challenge, is you have sellers who can't afford to sell unless they get that premium price because their borrowing capacity has now significantly dropped due to interest rate rises. Supply and demand issue continues. What a vicious cycle we have. It, it is. Look, the only way we can solve it, and we all need to, to put pressure on the state and federal governments... Uh, is is to build more houses yeah. and, and to support the building and the construction of affordable housing. Um, if, if we can do that, we eliminate this crisis. Let's see which rabbit holes we're going down in this episode. It's time for GTM. It's G-Thought Moment. It might be drink, whiskey, pot, bar, smoking beer, podcast, story, writing, treasure hunting, you name it. What's really great right here? Singing, playing TV shows. As you can see, nothing's off limit. It's GTM. Alrighty, so what we're going to look at today is I'm going to show you guys how I make jerky. Um, jerky is an incredible snack, so good I get tongue-tied about it, get a little excited. Um, but it's, it's an awesome snack, it's high protein, and it's actually surprisingly easy to make at home. And I know that jerky, particularly you know, in this day and age, jerky is super expensive, whether you're, you're buying it from some sort of markets or you're buying it from the supermarket itself, um, you know, you're, you're paying a, a fairly high price for decent jerky. So there's two different types of jerky. One is a dry jerky, which usually uses a, a sodium nitrate kind of um, powder and, and bits and pieces. So you've also got obviously your flavorings in with that sodium nitrate, and that will uh, preserve the meat and then you'll, you'll dehydrate that over time as well. The other option is that you can go a wet jerky. And a wet jerky is the one that I like to make. Um, I find you can play a lot more with flavors and do a, a lot more with it. And so we're gonna make wet jerky today. Now, the first step in making your wet jerky uh, is actually to make your marinade. So, jump in. I like to start with a base of a fruit juice. Uh, orange juice is good. Lemon, this one's pink lemonade from Nudie Juice, which is, is uh, your grape, grapefruit, blood orange, and, and lemon, which it's, it's got a really nice sweet, but also tart flavor, and I find that translates really, really well as a base for jerky. So we'll start off with two cups of that. Cut some corners, throw it in a blender. Alrighty. Next ingredient we're gonna use is Kisap Manis. Kisap Manis is an Indonesian soy sauce that always stumps me when I try to open it. So this could take a moment and be a bit funny. Oh, look at that. Whinge and win. Okay. So it's Indonesian soy sauce. It's a sweeter soy sauce than the traditional soy sauce. It's a little bit thicker, as you can see, as well. And we're going to put a cup of that in. Okay. You may want to grab out a spatula just to get the last remnants out of the cup. 
We'll grab a spatula here. There we go. So we're finished with the cup. Now we're gonna add a little bit of flavor. So we're gonna use some garlic powder. You can also use onion powder if you want in this. I'm gonna use about a tablespoon of onion powder, uh, sorry, of garlic powder. We don't use onion powder in my house purely because there's allergies in play, but you can absolutely add onion powder. In fact, you can, you can add pretty much anything to this that you like and that you think will go well. You can you know, add mustard powder, add, there's heaps of stuff you can add. And then once we've got the garlic powder in, we're gonna add some chili flakes, just a tablespoon of chili flakes on this one. All right, and now we are going to add a tablespoon and a half of rock salt. Because as much as there's salt in the Keysat Manis, I just want a little bit more to help with of course preserving it as it dries out. All right, now that that's all in play, bear with me, we're gonna blend this. I'll shut off the mic so that you guys don't get your ears burned. And typically, it's gonna take me about 30 seconds on the highest setting um, on the blender. So here we go. Alrighty, so that's done. So what you're listening for with this is you'll hear the rock salt pinging around. It'll be that plasticky kind of tick, 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 ping. And once that dissipates, you wanna give it another five to 10 seconds Make sure that it's all fully blended and broken up and dissolved, and then you're good to go. Now we have our marinade. It's quite a nice marinade, this one. This is one of my favorites. That's the good stuff. So what we now want to do is we want to get our steak. So we'll move this along, we'll get this out of our way a little bit, and we'll grab our steak. Now, ideally what we want is a bit of meat, bit of beef that has very little fat content in it. Um, you know, the best cuts for this are top side. Sometimes blade, if you can get a good blade roast that doesn't have the collagen or any, too much collagen, too much fat on it, you can often cut that up uh, into a really fat-free cut and, and then slice it up. I've got a bit of rump here um, and I've, I've already trimmed a lot of the fat off it. There's still a little bit here. I'm gonna have to use it, but it, if top side and blade are uh, too expensive um, and rump's on special, I'll go the rump. Makes for a really good jerky. So the quality of the jerky is not gonna dissipate or, or you're not gonna lose anything there. What you will find though, is if there's too much fat, the fat will go rancid first. And so the jerky won't last as long because eventually the, like the fat, even though you preserve it, you dry it out and so forth, the fat will be what kills it. So just get some off cuts here. So we'll cut that off so we can get our nice straight edge. And we're looking for two to three mil kind of widths. Right, so something like that is just about perfect. Put that in, race through here. We'll do for now. We'll just bob that down a little bit there and make sure that that soaks in. So I'll do the rest of that later. Now, the other thought that I will give you is, or the other bit of advice that I'll give you here is you wanna soak this for 24 to 40 hours. Once it's soaked, you'll then load it into a dehydrator, or you can load it into a smoker, or you can put it in the oven. Now, pay attention, this is crucial information. In the dehydrator, you're gonna want it in there for eight to 10 hours at about 65 degrees. You're gonna to want to check it at hour five, six, eight, and 10, okay? To judge whether where it's at, whether it's at the dryness that you want it to be. 65 degrees Celsius is the temperature in a dehydrator. In the smoker, you're gonna to wanna to try and get a 65 degree temperature 
Um, you're better off aiming for that 80, 85 degrees, knowing that meat will then cook at, a, or not cook, but dry out and, and heat at about 65 degrees. Um, and it, it can be harder to keep that temperature nice and even in the dehydrator, uh, sorry, in the smoker. I've often gone smoker and then into the dehydrator for the last half. So four hours in the smoker and then four hours in the dehydrator. Uh, but it will take you anywhere from six to eight hours at 65 degrees Celsius in the smoker to do your jerky. Um, or you can do this on a rack in the oven, always on a rack, right? Whether it's in the dehydrator, in the oven, in the smoker, always on a rack because you want the wet uh, marinade to be able to drip free and the meat itself to dry out. Uh, pop it in the oven at about 85 degrees Celsius uh, and check it at our four, six and eight there as well. Do that right and I'll show you what you end up with. This is my jerky from the other day. Look at that. Beautiful, nice and tough, delicious, good old homemade jerky. Make it any marinade any way you want. Remember, 65 degrees is the key temp, 85 in the oven, 65 in dehydrator, 65 in the smoker, but I recommend you go 85 to 90 in the smoker just to make sure you're getting that nice even heat. All right, any questions, hit us up. And if you enjoyed this video, remember like and subscribe.